Welcome to 100 Centuries, the History Conversations podcast. I'm Connie B. Dowell, um, and unfortunately, we've got another episode with um, just me, um, not Stephen, um, because he is super busy with beginning of the year school stuff. So uh, today is another interview with another author of historical fiction. This time I interview author Lee Sharon about her book, John Bloom and the Victory Garden, which is set in World War II on the home front, focusing on the lives of three young boys. Um, So this is a book for readers of middle grade fiction. So without further ado, here's the interview with Lee. All right. Well, um, welcome to 100 Centuries, and thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, so would you like to tell um, our listeners, uh, or rather listeners in the future, um, a little bit about yourself and your book? Uh, well, my name's Lee Sharon, and um, I am a farmer and a baker, um, and my business is food, and I love history, and so I wrote this book a few years ago, and uh, it's all about World War II and the home front and the amazing things that people did with almost nothing. Okay. Um, so for those who aren't familiar with the book, the, uh, could you tell a little bit about um, the title and the plot and where to find it? Yeah. The, um, the title is John Bloom and the Victory Garden, and it's available on Amazon. It's an ebook right now. Um, instantly downloadable on Kindle or any other device. It's part one. Part two is coming out in October. And um, it is a home front story about three little boys and a very old grumpy man and um, all the adventures they get into. What drew you to um, this period specifically and researching Victory Gardens? Well, actually... The idea came from my father. My father's name is John Bloom Emery. And um, my parents raised us, my sister and I, both garden with gardens and gardening. And it just popped into my head one day. I've always loved gardening. Obviously, I'm a farmer now. So we grow vegetable crops and fish and chickens and pigs and all the farm stuff. And um, I've always been drawn to World War II just because... It was such a time of self selflessness. I mean, people back then, they just, they didn't focus on themselves. They really focused on the greater good and didn't focus on what they couldn't do. Rather, they focused on what they could do. That's a huge attraction to me because it just, it's, it's really just reiterates how much you can do um, with the spirit, that can do spirit, um, if we all work together. And that is sort of the the theme of the book, the books, both of them, is not just the specific garden or gardening or food. It's it's really working together and becoming victorious through the the collective effort. Okay. Um, so for I think a lot of listeners probably um, know about the concepts of victory gardens throughout World War II and World War I. Um, but could you talk a little bit about their importance? How did that change um, how people lived and how people ate and cooked? Well, 
probably the biggest the biggest the biggest point of victory gardens is that the commercial farmers of the time had to send their their crops and their harvests directly to the troops to the allies on you know the americans the english the french everybody fighting against the axis powers had to be fed so all of the commercial crops would go straight to the u.s war department to the um to the, the british and all the european fighters and so people in america still had to eat and at the time it was a really um our society was very agrarian most people lived on farms um but there were a few people that lived in cities and so when the war department asked americans to start in world war one and to start growing their own vegetables growing their own um flocks of chickens which were called victory flocks. Um, that was a key, a key component to winning this tremendous war was everybody pitched in, everybody. Little kids, women, old men, everybody. So if everybody was growing their own crops at home, then that extra food could be used to feed the mass troops. But what it did was it pulled everybody together. It pulled villages together, cities together, far-flung ranchers were working towards the greater good. Everybody had a victory garden. Everybody was doing scrap drives. Everybody was working in whatever way they could to win that war. Yeah, definitely a time of, of kind of togetherness and collective action um, for this country and for many countries. Um, so, uh, so John Bloom and the Victory Garden, it's, um, it's a children's book. It looked like about chapter book length. So uh, without giving too much plot away, what's kind of the main conflict going on with this story? Well, um, the, biggest, the biggest conflict is the main character is John Bloom. And um, he, he's a 10-year-old and he's wants to be a good kid, but he still wants to be a cool kid. And, you know, he's sort of, he's sort of walking that tightrope between being his mother's son and being his friend's friend. Um, you know, his friends are pretty mischievous and they like to get into trouble. They, they are also good and bad, just like any kid and any human being. There's good sides of us and bad sides of us. And sometimes the good wins out, sometimes the bad wins out. But the main conflict is trying to do the best job you can do um, and still being a human being. Um, we all have our weaknesses and we all have grumpy days and we all have good days. And so it, it's, it's really a, an effort to show kids that they can be kids and they can be foolish and mischievous and mean sometimes, but it doesn't make them bad people. You know, they if they're working for the greater good, if they're working towards something that's worthwhile and um, and important, then they have a place in this world. All right. So, what drew you to writing specifically for children um, or for that age group um, in particular? Well, I think the first thing the, it's evolved. It's been, as they say, an organic process. Um, it started out because I had, um, we're still raising kids, my husband and I, but we had three boys and one girl. And 
10, 15 years ago, as they, the boys were young, there weren't a lot of books out there for boys that weren't about dragons or, um, you know, wizards and warlocks. We all know about that story. That's a wonderful story, and I love it. But um, there, there just wasn't a lot of interesting historical material for boys that wasn't either a picture book or sort of a Johnny Tremaine um you know, serious history kind of. I wanted it to be lighthearted and teach a little something, but still just be fun for the younger boys to read. But then as I was writing it, I um, I really just drew on day in and day out kid raising. <laughs> the stuff that the kids would get into was just like, I thought, I just have to write this down because I can't even make this stuff up. It's so good. Most of it is actually, most of it really happened. Everything that's in the book basically did happen in one form or another. So, but as I, as I wrote the book, I thought, you know what? We need to write this for just everybody. Just, I just want to write a good story for everybody. Boys, girls, old, young. Um, and then Mr. Hutchins crept in and Mr. Hutchins is 98 years old, very grumpy, lives alone. So I tried to like weave in a little bit the generational gap um, between the young, young and the old, old, and sort of everybody in between. And um, really my, my biggest goal was to just write a good story about history that would inspire people in this very kind of rough and mean, scary world that we live in today, that bad times have happened in the past and we can overcome them if we just work together. Yeah, a very important message. Um... And it's really interesting to, to think about that generational gap um, and dealing with it, because that's a pretty huge one from yeah. um, you know kids that are elementary school age yeah. to someone nearly 100. And at that yeah. time, when you go backwards and think about it, he would have been born in the 1840s and had a very different life experience. Um, yes, he was involved in a lot of, uh, a lot of adventures himself. And I'm thinking about spinning that off into another story as well about Mr. Hutchins. So, um, you know, he's just a really interesting guy. He's lived a long time and, uh, you know, he doesn't have a lot of patience for a lot of nonsense, but he has a sense of humor too. So, um, so yeah, and he saw a lot of history as well. So, um, yeah, good, good character. Okay. Um, so, uh, is there anything you'd like to share about the research process, things that um, surprised you or challenged you or um, how you got kind of started? Well, it's funny because when I first started, it was been almost six years ago. This has been a really long process. Um, and I don't use an outline or any kind of things on the wall or pictures or anything. I just, I really just write what I see. The story comes alive in my mind. And I just sit there and I type, I watch what I see, and I just write it. So it, it is a long process, which, you know, doing it that way, I have to go back and correct and um, revise and all that. But when I first started writing this, the internet was good, but it was six, you know, it was 2008 or so. So there was still a lot of stuff I had to get things out, actual books, covers, paper. Um, and look stuff up, make sure my facts are right, because a lot of the story revolves around newspaper headlines, um, key things. The book starts out 
in chapter one starts out with the bombing of Pearl Harbor. And I want kids to see those headlines that were real. So it makes it more dramatic for them because that stuff was shocking for the people at the, at the time. So a, a lot of my research was World War II history sites, um, department, U.S. Uh, War Department archive um, data, kind of dry stuff really, but, but the exciting thing of it is that, is that it all really happened. You know, it all really happened and we don't hear about that. We hear, oh, the greatest generation. Well, what does that mean? You know, the greatest generation didn't save us from like just unbelievable evil. They, they took sticks and canvas and made airplanes out of them. You know, they, they literally dropped bombs out from, out from a trap door that was between their feet, you know, maybe not literally, but very close to that. You know, they just, they pulled off miracles with nothing and they weren't soldiers. They were postmen and carpenters and farmers and, um, you know, lumberjacks that were looking for adventure and they found it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I just, I want people to remember that you can do anything in the world with absolutely nothing. If you just, if you just work together and put your mind to it. Yeah, that's really neat to have actual um, historical headlines in there. Um, it's really interesting um, to see. I've done my own research. I've been looking at lots and lots of digitized newspapers. That, of course, not everything is available digitally, but I think it quite a lot. It's a really good um, teaching tool and a really good research tool um, to see all those old newspapers and what's happening day to day. So. Is there anything you'd like to share about, um, you know, the publication process or the um, book production process that was really interesting for you? Well, I have to say it was frustrating for me at first because, you know, I've heard stories. I've read books my whole life. I'm a huge book reader and book fan. Um, and I've heard stories kind of all my life of, for instance, Beatrice Potter, you know, <laughs> classic story, you know, uh, a passionate artist and storyteller with her pages and wrapped in twine and walks from publisher to publisher. And all of a sudden, you know, she comes on and I know it wasn't easy for her either. Um, but she seemed to find pretty, pretty quick success. And, and so I was thinking that was going to be the same thing for me. And it really wasn't, it was, it was, it was a little off putting. I have to say, trying to find an agent, trying to find a publisher. And it did kind of, to be honest, it did really stifle my creative process for a little while. And then I just said, you know, I'm just going to write this story. And whoever wants to read it can read it. And over that period of time, I um, discovered the independent author process and self-publishing. Thank you, Amazon.com. We love you, we independent authors. Um, and. So I went ahead and tackled all my fear of technology and um, wrote the book and had it formatted. And my lovely sister-in-law handles all my artwork and all my formatting and um, Dog Star Creative Services. And just uploaded it to Amazon and Bob was my uncle, you know, it was done. So now it's just the marketing and I'd love to have a publisher pick it up someday. I would love that. but. 
that's I've sort of set that on the side. If nobody picks it up, that's fine. Um, just because I love the writing, I love the characters, and I love the town, and I love the townspeople, and I just want to play with them. You know, I just want to um, move them through the Second World War and see what they do and see what they say. And we're in the second half right now. I'm um, in the process of putting forward part two, which is called Digging In. And in that book, we get more to the gardening, more to the actual um, hands-on. The first book is more learning about the characters, seeing seeing what their sort of motivation is. Each kid has a different sort of interesting dynamic with the other kid and the other townspeople and their parents. You know, their parents are out there somewhere. And um, so digging in is more about the actual work of making a victory garden. And 1942 was tough. So that's sort of my motivation for calling it digging in John Bloom and the Victory Garden digging in because really everybody in the whole world was digging in the Soviets were digging in the Germans of course were really digging in and you know the Japanese were absolutely unstoppable and the Japanese owned the Pacific uh, region I mean they were they sank everything they were just taking island after island after island and that was really a depressing time for Americans and for all the allies because the Japanese just seemed like they were unstoppable. So it was a time where people um, really did have to dig in and just dig deep and just stay strong. And um, there was a lot going on in that part of 1942. The weather was terrible. Um, it was hot. It was cold. There were storms. It, it was a lot like today. You know, people call it global warming, but, um, you know, it's, it's happened before. <laughs> Weird weather happens. Um, no comment on all that, but, um, but it, you know, the weather didn't cooperate. It was just a really bad year. Yeah. Well, um, I, I love the title, Digging In. Um, when do you anticipate um, that coming out? That is coming out in October. So, um, you know, God willing and the creeks don't rise. But... Um, October is is right about where I'm hoping to get it out. There's uh, a bit about, you know, there's a bit about Halloween. And I, I do try to bring that up, holidays during the war, for kids especially. You know, holidays still happened. There was still holidays. There was still Halloween. There was still Thanksgiving, Christmas. And um, people made the best of things. So I, I like to, I don't know, there's just a lot of kids in today's world that have it, have it hard, you know. And I, I like to try to give them something to comfort them and say, you know, we're, we're having a hard time, but look at these kids back during World War II. You know, it was terrible, terrible, terrible time. They didn't even have enough to eat. And they still had Halloween. <laughs> they still had Christmas. They still did everything. Or they tried to anyway. And I hope that that brings somebody in the world some comfort. So October is when it comes out. And, um, and we'll see what happens in the next installment after that. All right. Um, well, that sounds, you know, awesome. Is there um, anything else you'd like to share about um, the period, about your book? Well, I, I tell you, I have absolutely nothing but respect for that generation. Um, but I also, I also really 
the time period was that people just didn't, they didn't give up. In fact, I just read an article recently about how there was no gasoline. There was, everything was rationed at that time. And in digging in, we get more into rationing and ration tickets, um, ration books and coupons and things. And um, that people would, <laughs> people would build furnaces in the back of their car and run pipes around the outside of their car or over the top or whatever. And they would run their cars off of steam. And um, I want to say that was called a gasifier. Um, and, and there are pictures on the internet of the gasifiers, how people would just, it wasn't very attractive. You know, there was a huge furnace behind your car and a big, huge pipe running around the side to the front to the engine. But, you know, they just, they didn't complain about stuff. They just fixed it. You know, they, they didn't whine, they didn't cry, they didn't wring their hands and gnash their teeth. They just, they just figured out how to make it work and they made it work and it wasn't pretty probably most of the time, but it still worked, still got them to where they needed to go. And um, that sense of kind of can-do spirit, you know, I think we've lost that in, to some extent. And I, I would love to see more of that come back, especially to the younger generation of just kind of don't complain about it, don't cry about it. I mean, you can cry if you want to, but then wipe your tears and pull your boots up and let's figure it out. So, um, you know, I, I, I have huge respect for that generation and previous generations as well. I don't discount them either. Um, but I'd love to see that, that sense of let's just do it um, back, in, back in our society. And maybe it won't come, maybe it will, but at least people will know that it is possible. Great message. Um, so uh, I, I love hearing about the gasifier. I've never heard of that before, but it sounds yeah. really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that'll probably show up in the third book somewhere along along the way. They, oh, yeah. They they are they're very interested as um as the as the year ticks along in the uh, launching of the USS New Jersey, which launched out of Philadelphia. It was the biggest warship ever created. And my father is actually from New Jersey, so this part of this is motivation. You know, my family does come from New, from the area. And Appleside is a town, and it's actually um, completely modeled after a real-life town in New Jersey called Pittman, New Jersey. And um, Pittman was where my father grew up, and there's a lot of history going on in Pittman. And um, so, you know, the boys are very interested in the next battleship to be launched and I'm thinking maybe they might have to drive to Philadelphia in a gasified truck. <laughs> oh yeah, you've got to put a gasifier in. That, yep. that needs to be in a book. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again so much for coming on the show. Um, so we know that our readers can find um, your first book on Amazon. Um, is there any place else that they should find you online? Well, you can look for me at um, leesharon.weebly.com. Um, I am on Twitter at Lee Sharon. I'm also um, on Instagram as Winter Rest Farm. And, but if you just go to leesharon.weebly.com, um, all my contact information is there. And you can send me an email if you can't figure it out. And I will, I will take you by the hand and I will show you where to go. All right. Well, thank you again for coming on the show. Um, it's been a, a real pleasure. Thank you so much.
Thanks, everybody. <laughs> yep. Thanks, everybody. Um, and uh, sorry about the kind of rocky start, but I think this has <laughs> turned out pretty good. <laughs> Thanks for your patience. I appreciate it. All right. Well, um, I think we are about wrapped up, so I'll stop the broadcast and um, say um, good evening. Okay, Connie. Thanks. Take care. All right. You too. Bye. Thank you for listening to 100 Centuries. And thanks again to Lee for coming on the podcast. Um, before we go, just a couple of quick announcements. Um, Stephen and I are expecting a baby pretty much any day now. So if you try to get in touch on the podcast, it might be a little while before we get back to you. If um, I'm still waiting around for the baby, then I'll probably get back pretty quickly. But if there's a bit of a silence, it means that he came and we're really busy. Uh, but we pre-recorded stuff, um, as I said in the last podcast. So stuff will be coming out even during the super busy new parent time. But we might not be super responsive, but we are listening and we do appreciate your feedback. Another announcement is that if any of you are Wadpat readers... Um, that's Wattpad, W-A-T-T-P-A-D. It's a platform um, for authors to put up stuff for free for readers to look at and comment on. Um, and I'm now on Wattpad and have the first short story called Ian and Darlene up. And you can find me at, um, by looking for Connie B. Dowell on Wattpad. So I would love to connect with you guys if you're out there. Um, thanks again for listening. This is 100 Centuries, signing out. <laughs>